Hello and welcome to the Horus Heretics Christmas special bonus episode. I'm William. I'm Neil. <laughs> and we're celebrating all things seasonal <laughs> in this episode. Uh, Who's dying today? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> no, that, oh, thank God. <laughs> no, sorry, Christmas is not about that. Um, well, it is about him, but he dies later um, in the story of Jesus. But obviously, I'll shut up now. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, so um, so we for this episode we decided to do something different than what originally pl- what was originally planned, and what we are doing is looking at a couple of extracts um, from Warhammer Adventures. So this is a new, um, I think it's a relatively new thing, just in in from this year where uh, the Black Library has tried to um, expand its readership to a younger demographic uh, by basically taking the settings that we... Well, not that we know from the Horse Heresy, but the you know the normal 40k setting and the, the um, Warhammer uh, Fantasy or Age of Sigmar or whatever it is nowadays setting, uh, the Mortal Realms, I think, um, and... Uh, they have adapted them for a younger readership. So well, I don't know when this podcast will be going out, probably, what, the 23rd, 24th? Um, Christmas is defined by uh, Santa Claus mm-hmm. giving presents to children around the world. And these books are for children. So if you want a Christmas theme, that's as good as it's going to get. <laughs> So you were in charge of making a festive um, version of our intro and festive <laughs> arts. How's that gone? <laughs> well, um, you know, like uh, our normal sort of um, since we have intro, but with like uh, bells. Oh, yeah. I was in charge. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Right. Yeah. I was actually thinking about that um, this morning, if we could get any just sort of sleigh bell effects maybe if we so, so you've thought them, about it we could just like sprinkle them over this whole section to like just festive it up you know and then uh, <laughs> uh, so let's start so we have so what we've done is we haven't actually re- we haven't <laughs> we haven't actually read a whole book or story <laughs> today. no we've read samples of books um th- i think we should we should talk a little bit about um how shitty we can be about this because these are children's books we are not children um if we like or don't like something it doesn't matter because they're not for us absolutely there is nothing more repulsive than adults reviewing children's shit and going i didn't like this i thought this was really really shit um like like i'm thinking of doctor who fans and um Y'all adults, Doctor Who's fun. You can watch it by all means, but it's a children's show. Shut up. I agree with that. However, I don't. I that never really was a something that I thought. Oh, I will have to bite my tongue there. I thought that was shit because I actually thought they were quite good. Also, what I what I was feared about before reading this is like what I didn't want would for for these books would be for them to appear. Like the empire is some benevolent force of good, yeah, yeah. which um, you know, w- with a lot of flattening that happens with children's stories, that could be a fear. 
Okay, yeah, this is a, these are all good subjects for discussion. Let's give a quick run through of the story, shall we? So, so far as it goes in uh, this extract. So, we are starting with the um, Warhammer Forty Thousand uh, set story of the two in the sort of free sampler, and this it's called it, Attack of the Necron. Yes, and it's by Kevin Scott, and it also has illustrations uh, by Colmer Ketty and Magnus Noren. Um, so, main character who is called Zelia, and she, with her mum and some others, she's a kind of she's working at a archaeological dig, essentially, um, outside or nearby to a big hive city. Um, they are clearly not from the city. They're there on work cataloging artifacts from the technological past. Yeah. Um, and Zelia Lore, which is a good name for uh, somebody who's basically uh, an archaeologist, um, seems to be like kind of like a happy child, um, which is the first time we've met one of them. <laughs> first, We haven't really had a point of view from a child before. Possibly the first no, time we met a happy person. <laughs> Uh, yeah, happy person, possibly the first time. So that's that's my note on that. Happy, um, and uh, yeah, she's there with her mum and a bunch of like droid things and a Martian boy who's totally into machines and uh, some other dude as well. Can't remember him just yet. How can you not remember a dude called Lex Mechanic Erasmus? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. This is the, there are some real good names in this. I did, um, I did sort of write some down. Um, so yeah, we actually get a bit of um, a bit of interesting lore, at least uh, from my point of view. They're they're sort of digging up and cataloging uh, technological artifacts from the dark age of technology, which they say was a period a thousand years ago when machines thought for themselves. And that something terrible happened when these AI um, were sort of let loose. And because of that, full AI are now verboten in the in the Empire. Uh, so you can have droids. You just can't have artificial intelligence. They seem to be thought of as um, something as uh, repulsive as a, a psyker or some warp spawn. <coughs> Although it did seem to me that like the definition, their definition of AI was like AI of a really high level. Like there was like the there were little fly things, robotic fly things that, by you know the standards of today, would I think be considered pretty advanced AI. But they weren't considered AI in this context because they couldn't like properly think for themselves. They were just like following routines or whatever. But yeah. They, seemed, they seemed pretty advanced to me. So, but yeah, so th- they were called sprites, um, and I, I think they're more sort of um, little uh, pixies, frankly. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think their their view of it, what AI is is pretty mixed up, but no more mixed up than a normal Warhammer forty k book. So it, <laughs> I, I did feel at home. It, <laughs> <laughs> whilst reading this and just uh, a lot of confused thinking <laughs> so in terms of the story um, I think this opens up with uh, Zelia's kind of in their ship I guess they're 
uh, sort of yeah. ship that they presumably travel around doing archaeology in, but she's just there on her own. And her mum and these others are out at the dig site, I think, like quite nearby. Um, and then a bunch of... Uh, like bunch of bunch of road warriors turn up. <laughs> yes, a cyberpunk gang turns up. Yeah. Um, these are these are like a teenage gang. Yeah, like a, a sort of like just your typical like school bully type character from uh, from children's fiction, I guess, but in the form of like um, a, a cyberpunk. He's got a, a cat tattoo on his head. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there's a big bully leader one who, you know, um, the others fear but maybe don't respect um yeah he's called riz riz and uh he what is it he wants he just wants he wants to just steal stuff from the well he he's there for um like just just some loot but yeah. turn, turns out there's just all this like shitty technology <coughs> garbage it's just like um he's he's a He's one of those like bullies that you hate. It's all about if, if he doesn't think it's worthwhile this like ancient knowledge, then uh, it ain't worth shit. And he's upset that they can't find anything of value. So they um, they get into a confrontation with Zelia, and ultimately she calls in the the sprites or whatever they are to chase them away. Um, yeah. Um, and they sort of run off, but one of them, Talon, gives her a bit of a look, as if, like, you're all right. But then is chased off by these uh, attacking servo sprites. Yeah, and he had kind of... called... No, go ahead. I was just going to say, he'd been kind of, like... He he sort of intervenes with Riz and stops him from carrying on attacking Zelia. Yeah. 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 So we've clearly got a... He's a bit of a thinker, clearly. Whereas Riz is a, a bully of, of action. Um, but there's a, a cool bit. They sort of run off the ship. The ship is like is on the ground at this point. Uh, and they are chased off by an approaching Imperial Guard member. He just basically says, oh, get out of here, you kids. Scram, yeah. Yeah, scram. And um, it's such a, like, it's almost a crossover. You could imagine, like, one of the books that we've read this being just the line where one of the guardsmen like just uh, shoes off these kids, they run into the darkness, and then the guardsman is pounced upon by like a alien demon creature, <laughs> um, and like it, it just sort of read that we're, we could be having like two sort of crossover stories here. And I kind of like that. Wait a minute, you're you saying he was pounced on by an alien? No, 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 no I'm no. saying that if if this crossover did happen. Then, um, in one of the in one of the forty k books that we've read, it would just be a line of like, yeah, the an imperial guard was drawn to this ship by some boisterous teens, and he shooed them off. Yeah, and that would be all that was be mentioned in in it. But it just feels like we're getting um, uh, a, a, a sort of deeper look at that thread yeah. that crosses over a different perspective and it's a bit more so it's a bit more human than like well yeah i mean it just seems like right there's a family here that seemed like a normal family that we haven't had one of those either <laughs> uh, there's uh women as a main character um and they seem to have like uh 
some sort of understandable um, existence that I can have some empathy with. And that was nice. And so, yeah, I was just like reading it, just going, okay, we should have more of this. So um, once she's kind of, once the the gang has been driven off, they return to their base, which is in a big pipe or something, isn't it? Um, <laughs> That's in the sewers. <laughs> in a pipe. <laughs> there's somehow there's like a transport vessel that has been like, swept down into the sewers and it's um they've kind of decked it out just like road warriors would do um <coughs> to be like their grand uh meeting place where onak the gang leader is uh sitting on a throne made out of an ejector seat it's good <laughs> yeah. yeah um and then there's some kind of honor fight between riz and talion um and again, this will go back to what I've said a few times before in this podcast. Uh, Talion kind of wins uh, and picks up Riz's weapon, whatever it was. But electricity countermeasures kind of spring from this weapon and zap him down. And um, I think I've said once or twice before <laughs> that I like a weapon with a, a gimmick, you know, a, a secondary fire mode almost. And uh, this was a good one. Uh, Talion, who seemed a bit like he's meant to be good, but I don't know. He just seemed a bit of a faceless douchebag. Riz is a straight up douchebag, and uh, I wasn't unhappy that both of them seemed to take a turn for the worse in this. But um, so yeah, Talon. Talon, I think is he's one of the characters in the front of the book, isn't he? Um, yeah. So he's obviously uh, going to join up with Zelia at some point, um, but. Uh, so during uh, about the same time, uh, Zelia is going to the um, archaeological site where her mum and the others are, and uh, there is a um, a siren that's heard in the hall of the gang and across the Hive City um, that uh, nobody has heard before. Um, but they all know that it, it it means that the Hive City is under attack. Yeah, and some uh, loads of sort of fighter ships start flying in towards the city. Yeah, I wanted to bring up a bit here that um, the 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 boy that they have along, Zelia finds her mom at the dig site, and um, Mackie is there. He is a uh, a boy of like roughly the same age, I think, as Zelia, but he wears the red robes of Mars and basically doesn't l- much like hanging around with humans. He gets on better with machines. But um, they talk a little bit about the beliefs of Mars and um, how they believe in like God machines and stuff like that. Um, and Zelia sort of questions their beliefs. She sort of things like well i'm not sure if any of that's true or not which is it's just a better way of thinking um because in the books that we've read everything that's said you know all of the religion of mars is literally true and we know it's true because we see it where it's just more interesting if uh, a religion is can be built up around 
like natural occurrences and um, just normal techno uh, technological happenings are given these uh, wider, more ethereal, religious trappings and stuff. That's just better than, oh, we believe in the spirits of a machine because they are real. Plus, like, yeah, religion in these books that we've read so far is usually dealt with from the point of view of a zealot, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And, like, so here we have, like, a child who's just growing up in that religion, which is just inherently a kind of, um, I guess, like, maybe not inherently, but it's, it's potentially just a more nuanced situation because they grow up with this thing in the background all the time, I guess, but they maybe don't necessarily, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's not like the the main thing they think about, I guess. It might just be a sort of background feature of their yeah. worldview, um, which is, you know, I guess, like usually when we've been dealing with kind of belief and religion in these books, it's been a really, like those that have it are absolutely devout and zealous in in the way they think about it. Um, uh, but But also like, with, with those zealous beliefs, I'm often left kind of going, well, the only thing I think about really when I read them is that, well, he's he's talking a lot of shit, but he can create, like, m meat monsters. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> or, like, he can shoot beams out of his hands or whatever. So he backs it up. And... A lot of the questions you have to ask uh, here are really the only questions you have to ask. Like, like that's a level of proof of his religion that nobody gets. Like, what? Why? Why aren't people just like converting on mass? I know. Like, um, it's it's just a bit weird. Wait, in real in real life, for instance, a Christian might employ the phrase. Knowledge is power to suggest <laughs> from their from their point of view that you know if you read the scriptures, um, you learn the Bible, then you'll ha you know you'll have this. Um, I mean, I'm talking about this from a Christian point of view. You'll have you'll maybe have a kind of moral code that will allow you to um, live a good life and help others or or whatever. Yeah. Whereas, like uh, for Motep, he can just say knowledge is power and. <laughs> Uh, blast eye lasers into a demon's face. Yeah, um, but, like, but like, if we bring it back to the a Christian thing, like, if some pastor or vicar or priest or whatever was talking about like some group that he despised or other, <coughs> and said, um, "Well, l as they do, that the Lord will smite them with His uh, fiery sword." Well, they say that, and nothing happens in the real world. <laughs> But if he said that and then instantly <laughs> took out a big flaming sword and started smiting, you would have to think, okay, well, okay, okay. So I think maybe his religion, as awful as it is, probably is true. Um, but because that doesn't happen, everyone thinks they're just mad. Whereas a word bearer backs up everything they say. Um, and yet there are still non-believers in the universe. I just don't get it. So th this questioning of the Martian's belief just seems like a more nuanced approach to but, take. But when you think about it, it's like it's not so much a case of <clears throat> uh, will you, you know, there are no supernatural or, um, you know, no uh, all-powerful 
beings visible in the universe and then so one pops up and everyone then thinks oh, I better believe in them it's like there are so many to choose from that's yeah. the difference in the 40k <laughs> world that's why they don't all believe the same one it's like yeah, there's yeah. <laughs> there, are, there are many uh different options um but maybe yeah but that's why like the atheism of um the imperial creed is the one option that makes no sense whatsoever <laughs> yeah yeah although i suppose i can like I suppose that, like, it doesn't make sense in a way because you wonder how that's actually worked for thousands of years. But um, at least as it's presented in these stories, that's like a very, you know, it's like an atheism that's really a pretty thinly veiled worship of the emperor that then sort of takes on explicit form in the course of the story. But um, but I I also suppose that, like, the the word bearers are not just saying, here, I'm backing up everything i've said with like real action that you can see and believe they're also saying oh you believe now well i'm going to put a demon in you and carve some shit into your skin nobody wants that so so i can sort of understand why people might just go oh it's clearly real but i don't want i don't want my uh, skin to be taken off and used in a a, a book um, that is going to be attached to the shoulder of a guard with flaming hands <laughs> Well, I was going to say, like, I mean, you you, you, you can say that, but you, you also can't say that the word bearers haven't given people ample opportunity to convert to their beliefs through the process of reading because... Oh, God, yes. They, they, they do have a book on the front of their big ship, after all. Um, yeah, maybe, um, maybe they were always bad, but, like, after a couple of centuries or however long of just, like, endless sermonizing... <laughs> They were just like, you know what? Let's just fucking do something. Let's just take one of these people that we're we're trying to convert via endless sermons, and let's just let's just cut them up a bit and see if that works. It's just an option. The, and, yeah, they're just a Bible study group gone rogue, basically. The word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, right, uh, so this attack is the Necron. Uh, that's attacking. Sorry, we're, we've been talking a lot about other books, but going back, <laughs> going back to this book. Um, What's the, a necron? Well, a necron's. Well, see, here's the thing. Um, I've only recently been properly learning about the necron because I've been <laughs> been learning about them. Have you? <laughs> <laughs> You've been taking classes. <laughs> learning about them. <laughs> Picked up a Fucking necron friend. textbook. <laughs> Who's teaching you? Like uh, what? Ne- uh, a neck, a necro, a necronologist. Um, <laughs> okay, no. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I've re- I've read this. I've read about. I read another novella that's really good. That's about the necron, and I've seen them about, but I've never read any. Um, I mean, you know, not in the real world, but like in in Games Workshop. But I don't really. Um, know a whole lot about their lore to be honest uh but they're something like i mean this this one that um gets into the face of zelia is a um technoskeleton yeah and i think i think that's all of them i think they're all they're a highly 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 technologically advanced ai or no not ai actually real life form it does make that distinction in this book yeah it's like they're dead but they survive their souls are trapped in robots that were asleep for a long, long time, but then 
got resurrected somehow. I think we can settle on technoskeletons as yep. being a good word, and their weapons of choice tend to be, well, bolts of luminous energy and things like that. Mm. Um, green, a lot of green. Oh, uh, they're the, they're green coloured. You gotta have a a hook. Uh, yeah, so they're green. They so obviously they're attacking the city with big ships, but then a bunch of them start flying towards the or near to the dig site, and they're uh, what are these kind of hover bike things with lots of guns on them uh, that they're flying? Yeah, they kind of look like thrones as yeah. well. Um, and they are on the ground. They're they have unleashed a plague of uh, robot scarabs. Yes. So I wonder if they have uh, an Egyptian thing about them. Yeah, they do have a bit of a Egyptian thing. Uh, indeed, they start attacking the site that Zelia is at, and they uh, start packing up a skimmer thing to escape. Um, Zelia and her mother and the others that are there and then like the space marines just drop out of nowhere and uh, blast them all to shit <laughs> this, this was I think I've sort of made clear from my tone, this was great up until this point, it was a good um, the, the prose itself was clear and precise uh, absolutely no wasted anything it was just like clipping along at nobody's business and then the space marines arrived and they are presented as the brave conquering heroes that they aren't well they're kind of like see I would say they're not they're they're presented as an awesome site I wouldn't say it I mean obviously they're they are helping in the sense that they're fighting these Necron. I wouldn't say it's overtly kind of presenting them in a heroic light here. It's just kind of they're vastly powerful and the characters are kind of awestruck by their appearance. Um, certainly not presenting them in an anti-heroic light. I wouldn't say that. No. But but it's, they're kind of quite faceless, really. You know what I mean? They're just a, a, an unstoppable force, essentially, that's just dropped out of nowhere and starts... Um, I wonder if maybe I, because I've just been... I was worried about this question. Um, and then it happened, and I just thought, oh, God. And and also a good point to make is that this is a section of a book. This is not a book. Yeah. So um, we don't know what is what they're going to write about them next. I mean, undoubtedly, they're meant to be presented as cool. You know what I mean? Like, yes. Because, like, you know... And as, the, as they are killing, there's the line, they are war made flesh. And I thought, you don't want to tell that to a kid as if, like, that's a good thing. Well, again, I thought it was... To me, it was just presenting them as fearsome and scary, which is like... I mean, this was not scary, but... Uh, yeah, kind of scary, I guess. Like, um, And this is something we'll get onto in a bit, but like, it's an interesting balancing act they have to do in these books between... Obviously, it's got to be suitable for children... And I guess it's marketed as children's books, and so that you know, um, they will be bought by parents wanting to buy something for their children. Um, but they they probably are still trying to retain a kind of like I don't know, like edginess that like will make children think that these relate to a thing that isn't 
children's books if you see what I mean like so that yeah um like they will think oh this is this is cool what one thing that is obviously I think we've answered already is like do these things stand on their own or is this a a new marketing mechanism to uh make children want to buy more shit which is obviously what these what Saturday morning TV cartoons were explicitly they were just like marketing toys this this seems to stand on its own at least in this most it does like i mean it is that but it can also be good at the same time as being that um and um, but anyway they were just about at the end of the narrative here which is that they sort of fly away and um away from where the space marines landed and they get uh chased by it well one of the necron gets onto their craft basically doesn't it and mm-hmm. um they have to uh the mechy has to change he sort of adds some ability to their vehicle by tinkering with the machinery and um they're able to kind of fly off in a way that it normally wouldn't be able to do and uh they do a kind of barrel roll thing <laughs> and uh, send the send the um, Necron spinning off, and uh, and then Mechie's sad because he's lost one of his. He had a couple of little machine things that were like his companions, um, and one of them falls off, uh, and that's basically where the yep. The Read story. more by buying the thing available February twenty nineteen. Yeah, uh, so I actually I actually have given this book to my nephew uh for his birthday for one of his birthday presents so i'll be interested to see if he reads it and if he likes it what did you think of it uh i I liked it um i was a little bit put off at the end by what i thought was the um heroic entrance of uh the space marines but maybe i should uh take another take another look at that um what you've said has made me rethink uh, and maybe I was wrong there, um, but uh, no, I liked it. I liked the uh, I liked the he- hero. I um, I like any group of heroes who are basically archaeologists or librarians. I'm I'm all for that. Um, seems good. Yeah, um, I think like I mean your general point I think is when you talk about the space means is, is one I was thinking about as well, which is like. I was going to say, like we've talked about this before. There's, I think there's a, there at least in the origins of this setting, there's a strong satirical kind of um, tone mm-hmm. to it that maybe even isn't there that much in the the Horus Heresy novels. By the time you know, just the way they were written, it's not there that much. But you do wonder if that edge will be taken off. So how do you? I mean, there's at least a shadow of it in the Horus Heresy novels. You know, it's not like Space Marines are presented as good, really. You know, some of them yeah. are, but um, but yeah, it does make me a little bit. I think like they probably won't. I think they'll just be presented as like badass warriors, essentially, mm. um, as they are in that bit. Uh, I don't know if they'll necessarily be heroes, um, but yeah, I don't know. Um, obviously, they're one of their in terms of this being a kind of marketing strategy. They're like their main thing you know their biggest seller presumably so 
they'll be wanting to get them in, I'm sure, to these books. So, like, my last kind of two points about this, well, one is, one thing that I found really interesting looking at in the writing of these is, as we point out frequently when reading the other books, is the the sort of um, wheelhouse of a black library writer is writing about violence. Mm. And that obviously has to be toned down a lot uh, in these books. And yet, they still are set in that universe that's and they still want it to be, you know, it's still part of the appeal is probably like there's lots of fighting and action and um, and excitement and alien armies and whatnot. Um, so they don't want to lose that from it. But they, uh, I thought it was really interesting, like when you read a bit about the gang coming into Zelia's ship, the way that like, so the one of the 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 like leader of the gangs wielding some big metal club or cleaver or something. And he's swinging it about, but just like it's this kind of dance of describing this like yeah. action scene without any kind of the usual, you know, like he didn't crush anybody's head to pulp. No, <laughs> no, I know. Like, uh, yeah, just compared to what we'd normally read, you know, normally you could get through like half a page and like um, several people or creatures would have been reduced to an unrecognizable mess of like you know flesh yeah. and blood and <laughs> you mean, uh, i think it was in the last book that we we read it stayed with me i keep thinking about it there's the line um limbs fell from the sky like rain <laughs> oh, <geez>. <laughs> <laughs> i love that line <laughs> it's just like dropping on people's heads <laughs> so needless to say there's um there's none of that here but there, obviously, there, you know, there is action, there is fighting. So, uh, it, it, I, I would say this book is largely um, better written than a lot of the other ones that we've we've read. Um, yeah, because it does away with that the tiresome like Roman names that they give to things, that the the attempts at sort of medievalizing stuff. Um, it just has a nice, clear style. I th- I actually, yeah, I kind of had the same thought that almost by accident, it's like by trying to find this writing style to appeal to a younger audience, they've almost um, incidentally found a better way of writing this universe. You know, like it's yeah. just more, it just like clips along more and it's like... Um, I, I think that uh, in the the books for grown-ups there's too much of like um authors showing that they know how uh titan would work and so they're explaining like the the pipes and the the mechanisms to all of these different things and really and i i I don't care yeah yeah you know it's like okay so you um you know a lot about explosive rounds that go in different weaponry that's that's good well done but i just find it a bit of a slog to read through every now and again yeah that's what that's that's true actually this was more it was more just a story rather than yeah like an exposition of a setting okay um so that's a good point to get on to the next story which i don't think we'll 
cover it in such depth, but this is a first, so this is a bonus within a bonus. We're covering something from the Games Workshop's fantasy. I don't know setting. shit about this. I haven't read a word <coughs> of um, Warhammer Fantasy. Well, here's what I know about it. Have you when, been learning about this? <laughs> <laughs> I have some deep learning about it. No, I don't really. But like the, um, the, the setting when I was into Games Workshop... Uh, like mid nineties was uh, was just the Warhammer Fantasy, right? And now the current setting that they're in, there was some kind of cataclysmic event, and we're now in a kind of new world that is where things are the same. Some a lot of things are the same, but a lot of them have slightly different names. Like so, like the orcs or like the Uruks or something like that now, um, or maybe that's probably not right. But they're like just these slightly different. Um, thank, thank God for this cataclysm. Vowels <laughs> and such, such wonderful imagination has been allowed to go free if they've changed the name of an orc to an orc. Yeah, and well, well, one of the main points of this cataclysm, as far as I can make out, seems to have been to shoehorn in a fantasy space marine equivalent uh, to the universe, which are these things called Stormcast Eternals that. Uh, wear big golden armor and helmets and look a lot like space marines but um in a fantasy setting and uh i don't know a whole lot about this new setting but apparently i did read there they're apparently going to start bringing back the original warhammer fantasy i think maybe alongside that so anyway that's the uh that's the the world we're in so i'll just give a quick brief description at the start of it because we don't know so much about this one so that we're in the mortal realms and it says each of the mortal realms is a world unto itself steeped in powerful magic seemingly infinite in size there are endless possibilities for discovery and adventure floating cities and enchanted woodlands noble beings and dread beasts beyond imagination but in every corner of the realms battles rage between the armies of order and the forces of evil this centuries-long war must be won if the realms are to live in peace and freedom so uh, this story begins with our main character, uh, Kiri, is uh, in the prologue. She's basically, um, I mean, it deals with the subject of slavery in a very breezy fashion, I thought, here, where uh, there's some barbarians are having enslaved a bunch of people and they are building a fortress, which turns out to be around a kind of dimensional portal thing that... A realm gate. A realm gate. Uh, and uh, Kiri goes into it, and that's the end of the prologue, and then it shoots forward <laughs> to... Um, that's, that's half the story. <laughs> it shoots forward to, like, a year later or something, and she's been uh, travelling around the realm that she wanted to get to, though luckily she did get to via this gate, um, where there's a city of Wifestone that her mother, who was... Um, who was obviously with her in the slave camp had originally come from Lifestone and she'd kind of held it up as this um, wonderful utopian kind of place to live uh, where people got healed and things like that and uh, so Kiri um, her mother died in the prologue and Kiri is searching for uh, Lifestone trying to get there and, and she's near to it when the sort of story properly picks up and she's been um, helped to find it by a friendly kind of peddler guy. Uh, when she gets there, it looks like it's um, really run down, which she wasn't expecting. 
Um, yeah, the um, the sort of golden, the shining city on the hill that her mother has described is not that. It's um, crumbling and it's filled with unhappy, dour people and stuff. Yeah, uh, so she gets into it and uh, she sort of goes her separate ways from the peddler and she finds out about, what is it, it's like a... A temple or something where she could get refuge. And a, but a, a Sigmarite temple. Sigmarite um, temple. And uh, you, you breezed over the appearance of the Stormcast Eternals and stuff oh, in, yeah. in the prologue. But they were uh, just again depicted as um, avenging heroes. Uh, but there was a, a, a sort of slight um, nod to Kiri sort of thinking, well, you know, it's barbarians versus these Sigmarite warriors, but either way, it's probably us that's going to be in the middle. There was a, there was a, a slight difference um, to the previous story, and this, like, yeah, this this was almost just a facsimile of the appearance of the Space Marines in the other one. But yeah. but I did think actually, I actually agree that in this case, I did think they were presented in a slightly more heroic light than the Space Marines were. Like I, I think, the, I think they were because they were freeing slaves, and that's a good thing. But Kiri doesn't go immediately to help them; she just tries to get away from both the barbarians and yeah them. Other slaves, though, kind of rise up in support yeah. of the the um, Stormcast Eternals when they arrive. But um, so, so to cut forward to the city of Lifestone. Which is the name of the book? I don't think we said that actually. It's called City of Lifestone by Tom Huddleston, and uh, Kiri is looking for this temple. And the as well as looking run down, the city is really strange. It's really quiet and sort of lifeless. I mean, there are people going around, but they just um, it's like not like her experience of other towns at all, where it'd be loud and and bustling. And she's looking for this. She's looking for this temple, but the. The whole the 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 structure and shape of the town seems to almost shift, yeah. and confound um, her when she's trying to. And she she gets signaled to by a, a crone in an apothecary shop, and she's wearing black, and she says that she's being followed by uh, the shadow caster, who is a, a child thief. Well, that's what yeah, that's what this apothecary says about him anyway. Um, and he so he is following her about and she tries to like get away and then he sort of just appears in front of her um, by the temple yeah Uh, how does he get away from her again well she runs and he doesn't move doesn't follow her oh yeah and then then she runs into like a bunch of other kids Um, well one of them this boy tries to steal her slingshot yeah and uh She's understandably annoyed about that, and then two two other kids appear who are kind of like, like they kind of have weapons and armor and stuff. Yeah, Thanis is uh, like I think a, a slightly older girl, and she wears like armor, bearing some sort of sigmarite thing, and Eilish is a small girl and um, looks to be something of a trickstery type fun person and is it Casper is the um, the kid in robes who tried to steal her um, uh, slingshot yeah 
and they they all whip up their sleeves and say we have birthmarks the same as you uh because um uh, what's her name the kiri uh just like her mother had some unusual birthmarks and they have different ones but um they all look to be of a type and they say that they all should hang out together because that this means something but kiri's not having that she doesn't trust anyone so she runs away and this is where the city is just like confining her completely and but she finds herself uh, in a a theater hiding from these uh these this other child band and the the next chapter is is called rap man <laughs> so, <laughs> so, it's, a, so um, it's a good chapter name it's, it's a good chapter name it, and it is descriptive listeners it is it, it tells us because there is a bit of a scene a bit of a, a sort of shakespearean scene happening on stage with a rat man in a, a, a purple waistcoat and and um sort of other trappings and uh, they talk i mean obviously you can't hear an accent in a book but they're cockneys almost <laughs> certainly they're cockneys they're cockney rats um, um, there is quite a good line here it's in kitty had so it's the skaven um that these rat men are called and it says kitty had always assumed the skaven were a myth a bedtime story to frighten misbehaving children but this walking talking rat man was very real indeed <laughs> yeah. yep Walking, talking rat man. That's what a skaven is. And they they kind of have a slightly like they speak in these kind of compound words, um, yeah. which I don't know what that's really about. But they um, they're cockneys, <laughs> rhyming slang. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then there's, there's two of them having a, some kind of discussion about I don't know what on the stage, and then uh, a bunch of them just rush up the steps and attack the the heroes. Um, oh, the 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 other um, kids have caught up at this point oh, and yeah. have joined Kerry and working together. Um, Bish bash bosh, they have a bit of a, a sort of slapstick encounter with these Skaven and uh, get away. Yeah, and they kind of swing down on a rope thing on a rope, and uh, yeah. It's, but there was just a, a moment here that I thought it was quite a good illustration of like uh, the point we were making earlier. But how do they get around the the violence issue? In these books it's so kind of central to the setting of these stories that it can't really not be a part of it but um obviously they can't have the kind of descriptions that they have in the horror's heresy books so there's this bit here where they're just at the bit we've just talked about where they fight the rat men where it says kiri's catapult kiri's catapult shot took the creature under the chin and its laughter turned to a gurgle of surprise um, and then it's just they run off after that. And I was like, if that had been in a normal uh, Black Library book, it would have been like the, the gurgle sh- would still have been there, definitely. But yeah, it would the- have been like as his pulped gorge rose, um, and yeah, his thorax slowly his, dissolved. His his throat collapsed out in a plume of <laughs> gore and blood. Yeah, some some of those lines, um, and yeah, so that was. I mean that was that was probably one of the more graphic descriptions of violence as well. Even just the use of the word "gurgle," sort of like you say, it did call to mind the kind of yeah, words but, that but, would be used. But but it was clear that the Skaven 
like it, I, did it use the word surprise or something? Or yeah, it like said, it said all of us was shocked. Its laughter turned to a gurgle of surprise. So that was that, and I th- it was uh, I quite enjoyed the descriptions of the city and stuff. Um, I thought this was a better story. Um, yeah, I don't much. I, this is my first encounter with the Skaven. I don't much like them. Um, you think they're bad guys? I, <laughs> that's not quite what I meant. I just think I have to fill the readers in a little bit of context here. Um, <laughs> Neil has a very deep problem in fantasy settings with God with with animals with species in these fantasy settings that are just normal real world animals put into human shape, such <laughs> such as the, the cat men in. Uh, Elder Scrolls, Skyrim. Oblivion, or Skyrim, or whatever. There's, uh, there's uh, cat faces and lizard men. It doesn't make any sense. So that's just a little bit of context. You can't that... have, you can't have a, a real world where evolution happens and humans become humans, but also lizards become humans <laughs> with lizard heads. It doesn't work. <laughs> so... And also, cockneys can't become rat men. <laughs> Well, cockneys get a real bad, uh, oh, a they, real bad. They, they do get a real bad rap in terms of like being the voices for. I or, live orcs I li- and Lord I, of the Rings and stuff I, like that. I live not, not a few, well, a mile away from where I would be considered a cockney if I was from. Okay, so that's the end of the stories. Um, you said you quite liked this one. I, I thought it was it was quite refreshing to read about a new setting, and I quite like the city. I, I always I really like fantasy, like cities as a setting. Um, oh, the, one of the illustrations is a cracker here of the of the city from a distance. Uh, that that picture is fucking great. Yeah, there was there were some good ones in in this, uh, and bit. in the city there is. Um, an apothecary shop with a sign outside it that uh, says, put the spring back in your step with Arkhamban's amazing unguent. <laughs> and uh, I love any use of the word unguent. <laughs> it's a good word. Yeah. Uh, it is a good word. Uh, because um, you can't keep on using words like that, it'll it'll turn into a poultice at some point, And then uh, <laughs> maybe a, a tisane or something along the way as well. But they all mean the same thing. It's good, good stuff. Um, so uh, I forgot to say this earlier. So I'll just say it now. I mean, I think this sums up quite nicely that, like the the what's been done with these books. So just to read you the last bit of the description of the forty k universe that comes at the start of a standard forty k book. So it says, "To be a man in such times is to be one amongst untold billions. It is to live in the cruelest and most bloody regime imaginable. These are the tales of those times." Forget the power of technology and science, for so much has been forgotten, never to be relearned. Forget the promise of progress and understanding, for in the grim, dark future there is only war. There is no peace amongst the stars, only an eternity of carnage and slaughter, and the laughter of thirsting gods. (laughs) Now, understandably, that's probably not going to be the description of a book that many people are going to want to buy for their children, so the adapted version of it for these books is as follows. So the Imperium of the Far Future. Life in the 41st millennium is hard. <laughs> Ruled by the Emperor of Mankind. I think you're gold- putting your own spin on it with that fucking tone that you <laughs> took in that line. 
<laughs> Ruled by the Emperor of Mankind from his golden throne in Terra, humans have spread across the galaxy, inhabiting millions of planets. They have achieved so much, from space travel to robotics, and yet billions live in fear. The universe seems a dangerous place, teeming with alien horrors and dark powers, but it is also a place bristling with adventure and wonder, where battles are won and heroes are forged. I'll I'll take that description over the last one. Yeah. Give me a bit of um, adventuring. Give me a bit of um, exploration. Yeah, it just it's a neat illustration, I think, in a nutshell of the the what they've tried to do in adapting the the setting. But yeah, I think overall, quite enjoyed those. And uh, I was going to say, would you buy this as a present for? Because obviously, like you said at the start, this is not. It's aimed at children. So, would you buy this as a present for? My nephews? Your nephew or niece or or whoever. No. You wouldn't? Uh, Probably not. I kind of want children's books and stories to be nothing but the story. I don't want it to have some latch into some uh, profiteering company or something. I don't want it to be a gateway into something else. Just let it be what it is. um, And, yeah, I I just... I just see it too much as um, uh, a means to get them into something else rather than for them to enjoy it themselves. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think what you said is true. However, I think applying that principle across the board will somewhat limit the range of presents you can buy for a child, uh, given that, like, yeah, there's, you know, across, like, a lot of these franchises are sort of these, um, you know, things that stretch across like TV, films, and you know, books, toys, games, what have you. You know what I mean? They're mm-hmm. intended to sort of, by whatever avenue, tie someone into a much wider galaxy of potential expenditure. Uh, so yeah, I agree <laughs> that I agree that's not. Uh, great but at the same time like we also said at the start i don't think that necessarily means it's not also a good story so yeah that's us done for christmas we have one more episode this year we're having an end of year roundup uh where we will discuss some of our favorite things from the years well it's not even been a full year but our whenever we started reading this year uh all the stuff we've read um okay so we'll see you next time